Hey everybody, we got a brand new swag shop. It's powered by Fourth Wall and it's really great. It's at eplex.store. That's E-P-L-E-X dot store. Hopefully you find something there you like. I'm partial to the one with Jordan Peterson and Jesus. Uh, eight millimeter, pop, pop. <laughs> don't ever call me again. Yeah. 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show live almost every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. We did not do this show last Tuesday. It was over 100 degrees at 7.30 p.m. last Tuesday, so we did not do that. Sweat in your crack. Sweat all up in your crack. Who wants to do a radio or a TV or a podcast or a twitch cast with sweat in your crack? It's just not... <laughs> It's not conducive to good broadcasting, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, we made the exact decision to save ourselves and save our listener and, and viewer uh, from that tragedy um, that would have been uh, down ballot in that kind of heat. But this week, we're back, and we have a docket that's so full, I'm sure we're not going to get through all of it in the next hour plus, um, but we are certainly going to try, and we uh, thank you all for being here to watch us attempt to do so. Um, and I just have to say, I, I we, we tried for so long, I think, to, to think about like a... a a jingle for this show, right? A little uh, intro music. And really, like, that model rocket scientist really just knocked it out of the park. Like, that uh, Big Small Towns, if you haven't heard it, listen to it. Um, they are local. Uh, and it's it really just encapsulates um, everything that this show is all about. Love that song. And uh, not for nothing, they're also, they also, like, don't reply to our emails and don't want to come on the fucking show. So they're not, they're, they're, their music is great and they're too good for us for local love. So shout out <laughs> to fucking, um, to, to Model Rocket Scientist. That song is real good. Um, so. just, just real quick, uh, if there's any technical hiccups, that's the way it goes. I completely overhauled the uh, software in the studio last night. We got the councilman Ooh. piping in through higher quality sound and he has a better quality video feed going out to him and uh things are always just looking up and looking better around here until like maybe the system crashes but i don't it think that'll happen that. it's it's built it, on it's built on top of linux it ain't going anywhere so what, what do we have for uh leading off well uh that's a fantastic question uh well as you might have heard um marijuana recently was legalized in the state of california and san francisco being the progressive capital of the world that it is i uh, decided they were going to get ahead of the game and take it a step further on the drug decriminalization front so let's hear what they have uh, going on up there it's psychedelic psychedelic drugs such as mushrooms are now decriminalized in san francisco the san francisco board of supervisors approved the resolution this week the measure says arresting people for using growing and distributing plant-based psychedelics should be the lowest law enforcement priority it also st says that city resources should not be used for investigations tied to the use of psychedelics the fuck yeah that was a gang of shrooms right there How Lord, could yeah. the they had the most you could have some fun in Vegas with one of the, just one of those bags. They had uh, the most, <laughs> for sure. So I guess um, it, it, they said plant based, right? So for, I got a little excited when I first heard this story, and they said the legal legalizing psychedelics, um, or at least decriminalizing psychedelics. And I'm like, oh, so acid would also be a, a you know legit um, acid and fapping possibly, but uh, but no, unfortunately, just shrooms for now, and anything plant based. So I guess that means peyote's cool. Um, yeah, I. I, I guess like it's, it makes sense. Like, I don't know, like I don't like mushrooms myself, but other people enjoy them. And I certainly don't th think people should get in trouble with the cops for doing it. Fuck that I've certainly shit. had a, yeah, for sure. I've certainly had a grand old time on, on mushrooms. Um, I've had some pretty bad trips on psychedelics too, but usually that's on, that's been on acid shrooms. I've generally had a good time. The worst time I ever, you ever have on shrooms is really after. And your stomach is just reminding you that you've dude, you just ingested poison. Uh, that probably wasn't a good idea. Right. Um, but it felt good at the time. So, uh, it seemed well, like a good idea at the time. Correct. Um, and now um, we are seeing that psychedelics and uh, these type of substances are being used for um, deep therapy. 
right? Um, and trauma therapy. Uh, so, you know, more power to folks and I hope we get more research out of this. The more decriminalization, the more legalization you get of these drugs that we really haven't studied, frankly, because there's just been this fear factor and just this stigma on them for so long. Um, the more of that we have, the more research we can get and the more we can find out about the possibly healing and, and positive aspects of uh, these drugs. It's not just about getting high um, and, and seeing your late grandmother walking around in her skivvies. It's about uh, really expanding your mind, in some cases, healing your body. So let's do it. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about all that, um, but I, I, I do know that like it's dumb to arrest people for like taking mushrooms. That's for sure. Um, well, speaking of dumb, how much would you pay for a parking spot, producer Dave? Uh, in San Francisco, how much money am I making at the building, like where the parking spot is? Uh, I mean, in the, if you're if you're paying for this parking spot, you're probably doing pretty well. You're 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 in the you're working. Not, you're not Peter Thiel, but you're working for him. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, it is. But that's that's probably what you'd have to be doing to afford this parking spot. And it's just the parking spot too. This is not the the apartment that goes with it. Just the parking spot. costs are already hard enough to swallow but we've got a listing for you you are not going to believe the price tag it's like forking over a king's ransom just to park in san francisco look at that ninety thousand dollars parking spot today in the base ginger conojero sob live in the city this morning this doesn't even come with a two-bedroom condo tacked onto it ginger well, that's a million dollars. Laura, maybe you can counter with that. I don't know how far it'll get you, but this listing is shocking to some, not as shocking to others, because for one, this particular condo building has done it before. A couple years ago, a similar parking spot sold for $90,000 at 88 Townsend. Now, the realtor that we spoke to said that prices for parking spots have actually gone down because of the pandemic. But now that people are starting to go back to work at least several times a year, they believe, or a week rather, they believe that there is value in parking your money in this investment. Nonetheless, it still raises eyebrows because $90,000 will get you, well, much more in other parts of the country. But take a look at the listing. It says it is currently being leased for $300 a month, which is, well, pretty, cool pretty typical in the city. The spot boasts of being on the ground floor and pretty near the lobby. It can be used by a non-resident, which we're told is rare, and it, it is a block away from Oracle park. Now, the reason we don't see more listings like this is because in most cases, an HOA may not allow homeowners to sell parking spots separately. This building is an exception to that. But what does this listing say about making it in the Bay? Some experts are saying it's a buyer's market. The realtor we spoke to says she's optimistic about the city's busiest real estate season of the year. We saw a lot of people holding uh, their their listings until after Labor Day. So this is really kind of the kickoff, the start of the market. And we're already seeing some activity and talking to a lender friend. She was also seeing a lot of activity in terms of uh, people, deals potentially coming, pre-approvals, of course, um, <laughs> seeking by sellers and buyers. So, audio, you know, correct. I do think that we're going to have a that is their audio. Yeah. And rates have kind of stabilized a little bit, which certainly is going to help buyers right now. 
I mean, that is optimistic. The listing says that it was put on the market 163 days ago, which uh, probably doesn't show that it's in such high demand, at least from the seller's perspective. I don't know, Laura, would you fork over $90,000 for this parking spot? I mean, could you put a tent on it, maybe? At oh. least you'd have coverage, you know? But it's pretty near the lobby. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. That is a plus. <laughs> Thanks, Ginger. What a unique story there. Yeah. All right. What a unique story, Councilman. Seriously, very We've unique. Quite unique. Quite different. Um, well, I, so I don't know. If, I don't know if you would pay. I mean, that's, that's so that's a sale price, right? So that you own the spot at that point. You can do whatever you want with it. Sublease it, whatever, right? Um, so 90K, if you figure someone's leasing at $300 a month, that's $3,600 a year-ish, right? And I, you know, I, I'm sure that's gonna, only going to go up in terms of cost in San Francisco year over year, right? So you're kind of banking on getting bang for your buck here and being in that and, and, and making that an investment over time, right? Um, so, you know, it, it's real estate. And it's parking, and they're both very valuable in San Francisco, so I don't, I'm not surprised by this. If it's a block from Oracle Park, I can tell you they can make their money back if they don't have a car, just leasing it during or renting it out during a, you know, Giants games or uh, or Warriors games. Um, that would be perfectly uh, perfectly useful. Um, probably make them good, pretty good amount of money and good return on their investment. So, but that's that's where we're at at this point. This so, is what they call untethered parking. So I want like, what happens when? somebody sells their condo i guess they just don't sell the parking space at the condo is that right yeah so um this is what they call this is a little extreme um this is not what you commonly see where um you're actually purchasing you can actually have the option to purchase a space separately from your condo right or your your, your uh, housing unit um, but we're seeing more and more untethered parking um and this is actually popular amongst developers it's popular amongst environmentalists and urban planners because it reduces the carbon footprint, it forces more people to, you know, think of public transit options and not use, not have a car. Uh, a lot of times, when you would get an apartment, right, you would get a parking spot with that apartment. Part of your rent, right, covered the parking spot, right, ostensibly, um, uh, even if they whether they broke it out or not. In a lot of cases nowadays, they're not tethering the apartment rent to the to a spot, right. So it's a the lottery in some cases, or if you have a car you can put into the lottery or you can put in for a spot, but you're not guaranteed a spot with your rent and you're paying a separate fee on top of your rent to, uh, to have the spot. Um, so this is a more extreme case where the HOA actually let them buy the spot. And I guess it could be that you just, you have a condo and you don't have a car and fuck it. Like, you know, if you have the money invest in the parking spot and then sublease it out, I guess, um, in this case, they want to just sell it and get rid of it. So maybe they're moving out. Um, but they want to, you know, maintain that that valuable parking property. So that's just where it's at right now, um, in terms of people's real just obsession with their rides and their whips, right, and, and being able to drive places in their cars. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I don't, I don't really understand it. But I mean, like, whatever. If somebody wants to buy that parking space for ninety thousand dollars, fucking let them. Oh, I can't, I can't uh, fault the person selling it, especially right, like shit if someone's i mean it's been on the market for 163 days so they might want to think about bringing the price down a little bit um but if they can sell it for you know tens of thousands of dollars a parking spot like yeah more power to you have fun with it go to vegas enjoy yeah absolutely uh, okay. okay well what's our next story well moving on uh, in winners and losers where there generally are no winners um and even if there are that's not the people you want to win uh the FAA has decreed that a uh, an encampment of our unhoused neighbors in San Jose uh, near the airport, a lot of you all may have seen it, it's just off of a heading in Taylor um, up there in the airport flight path, 
Um, they've decreed that it's uh, a public safety hazard to have people living in the flight path um, that close to the airport. So they've asked the city of San Jose or pretty much demanded that the city of San Jose clear the spot, uh, the site. And unfortunately that's happening this month and we're going to see a, an update on what's going down. Coming eventually, they just weren't expecting it today. Nearly 200 people living at a homeless encampment near SJC got a startling wake up this morning. City crews moved in, started clearing out the site. NBC Bay Area's Tom Jensen spoke with some of the residents who questioned the timing and what they say was a lack of fair warning. Residents we talked to said they were shocked when city workers rolled in this morning in trucks pulling trailers that were loaded with dumpsters and heavy equipment. And by eight, they were already going to work, pulling up everything from cars to makeshift homes and crushing them on site. Residents of San Jose's Guadalupe Gardens homeless encampment said they never expected to wake up to the sounds of heavy equipment on a Saturday morning. Destroying trailers, motorhomes, you know, just chewing them up and spit them out. A former resident who lives in an apartment now says she was visiting her boyfriend this morning when that equipment started getting closer and closer to their RV. It felt like I better let them know that we're in the RV because they might just take it out. They told us they were surprised because they thought they would have more time to clear out and never believe they'd be thrown out over the weekend with no warning. We've known for a while that this has been coming. However, we were under the impression that we had until the end of the month. City officials tell NBC Bay Area the FAA mandated them to clean up the site or face the possibility of losing federal funding and began the initial cleanup last year. And since March, they have removed more than 1.3 million pounds of debris and at least 84 cars and trucks that didn't run. Meanwhile, a local nonprofit group that provides interim housing and on-site showers and toilets and laundry services said they'll continue to help even after this encampment is cleared. We'll look and see what we most and be willing to go there. Uh, we'll also be willing oh, we to hope. try to help the people who were here. Uh, we have other resources where we have counseling and counselors that come out and help. A spokesperson for the city manager's office says San Jose outreach teams have already helped about 150 people from the encampment find interim permanent housing and they continue to seek shelters for the remaining residents. She says she expects the 40-acre site to be completely cleared by the end of the month. In San Jose, Tom Jensen, NBC, Bay Area News. That's just, I mean, like, I don't know, like, where, at this point, like, where do they fucking expect people to go? I just, I just don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not realistic to expect um, much to change here, except people moving to um, a different place, right? Um, and, and having to be moved and moved and moved and moved and moved, and how many times do we do this until we get them into a home? Um, good news is that, like they said, they have housed 150 people, there are another hundred or so um, units for another hundred or so people coming online, as they say, uh, being finished as we speak, um, literally right across 87 freeway from this site. Um, so that'll, that's going to be targeted towards the, these folks as well. Um, and, you know, sadly not to be a shill for the city, um, but the city's under orders from the federal government to do this. So it's, they, they've been, the city has pushed this deadline back as far as they possibly could go. This was supposed to happen at the end of last calendar year. Um, and they have worked, you know, pushed on the FAA to let them extend the deadline. Um, but when, you know, when the, the residents say, well, we thought we had until the end of the month, the city has until the end of the month to clear the space. It doesn't mean that you have until the end of the month to be in the space. Um, so it's not like, a, you know, checking out at a hotel, right? Like the city has to um, 
the, uh, the city has to, uh, you know, get their stuff done. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and it's unfortunate timing. Um, but it is unfortunate what it is. And they've known for many, 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 many months and years, in fact, that they would have to vacate this site. So, um, it is, it's, it was, it was in many ways inevitable. Um, but you're right. There's just no, there aren't any, you know, big solutions that, um, are going to help everyone. Hang on one second. I think I might've accidentally, there we go. Okay. Well, it looks like, uh, we got Dr. Sarah Cody, uh, saying that things are going pretty well here on a different front here in uh, San Jose. Yeah, we've been the most, one of the most, I guess, more restrictive counties, I'd say, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, because of, uh, and for good reason, and um, we've been pretty healthy because of it. Uh, but now Dr. Sarah Cody, our, more, our the most restrictive public health officer in the, in the country, has uh, loosened up the reins a little bit, loosened up the springs. So we're going to find out what's going on. Today, Santa Clara County's health officer is rescinding the remaining few health orders that are on the books. It basically means that vaccinations and vaccination passports are no longer required for people working in high-risk settings, and that COVID testing is no longer required at large health care systems. Santa Clara County has been one of the most conservative in the state, and rightly so. I mean, they've had some of the earliest deaths in the pandemic. Infectious disease expert Dr. Peter Chen Hong says this rollback for the county makes sense. Vaccinations are not uh, important for prevention of, of transmission anymore. And uh, we need to use a lot of tools, uh, including masking in the most high-risk environments. As we watch Bay Area counties roll back COVID mandates, it's important to note that masks are still required in hospitals and other medical facilities. UCSF infectious disease expert Dr. Monica Gandhi is keeping a close watch on the UK, where masking has been dropped in all healthcare and nursing home settings. She doesn't want to predict what will happen here. We're going to have to understand that we're never going to eradicate COVID, unfortunately, because of its characteristics, because it's in 29 species of animals. What we need to do is keep our rates of severe disease low, which we've managed to do. Doctors say rates are low because a large percentage of people in the Bay Area are vaccinated. Many doctors are recommending that people should keep wearing masks when in close contact with people you don't know. Cheryl Hurd, NBC Bay Area News. Well, that's good news. I would say so. I mean, it, uh, there are some winners here, occasionally winners and losers. Um, are you still masking up when you go to public places indoors? Like the grocery store, yeah, but maybe some other place, maybe the taqueria, not so much. <laughs> Is it sort of a case-by-case -case basis, like assessing risk and then, you know, going uh, going from there? Or I, I don't even know how like, I, I don't even know how I decide if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. It's like, oh shit, I, I forgot my mask. Well, do I want to go back a block and grab that shit, or do I just want to go get my taco? I want to go get my taco. Something like that. Something like <laughs> right. that. I mean, Taco Bravo, you're you're already risking your life uh, just eating there anyway, so it's not as though the mask is really going to save you from anything. T toast out of Thursday. Well, I'm across town now. We have different different taquerias, but yes. That's right. Oh, my God. I think everything's going to change. Um, anyway, well, um, listen to Dr. Sarah Cody and uh, have some fun. Take off the mask. Enjoy yourself. Um, definitely not the supermarket, though. Absolutely. I think any place where you've got a lot of people walking I around, like, touching stuff, you know. Don't, don't do it. Um, anyway, uh, so now uh, we're going to find out uh, 
about another one of the losers here, and that's baristas. Um, apparently, uh, the the unionization or the uh, organizing of Starbucks employees has come to Santa Clara, which is great. We'll have a story on that in Down Ballot soon. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it might not be in time to save these uh, baristas from uh, the great robot overlords. Talk about coffee now because I love my coffee. This is a story we've been talking about all day in the newsroom. A robot barista at Stone Ridge. Okay, not unusual in itself, right? But it's the question the robot asks you after after it makes your coffee. How much tip do you want to give me? What? Robot wants a tip? We had to send our... That's funny. I think it's adorable. All right, Scott. So um, a lot of people talking about this one. Uh, What the heck is going on? So you were able to see one of these robots asking for a tip? Yeah, they actually had a video of the robot. We've seen robots making us coffee, making us pizza, even Uh making us alcoholic drinks at at Mars, malls, airports. And this is another one. And the thing is... In Star Wars. modern era, yes, a robot is going to make us coffee. Okay. We're going to pay with it on our phone. And a lot of these payment systems, whether pay Power Square, it's all automated. You've seen the screen. Uh-huh. You hold up your phone, and the next question is, "Hey, do you want to leave a tip?" And some people are asking, "That doesn't make any sense. It was literally a robotic arm <laughs> that gave me the drink. What do I tip this? This sure. guy isn't putting kids through college. She's not working uh-huh. her way through grad school. What does a robot need a tip for?" And yes. that's sort of what people are discussing. And who's getting this tip? Like right. who's actually getting this tip? Okay, so Scott, I've known you for a little over a year now. You are a great person. I could say that. My question for you is, did you tip? I'm guessing you did. I did. I do <laughs> at all these things. Yeah, well, and, and I love these things as a tech reporter. I love seeing a robot make me coffee. But I know there are people behind it sure. that are putting the robot together, that are cleaning, that are making the pastries. That's where the tip goes. And if you think about it, these sure. things I always check, are they taking away jobs? Uh-huh. Not really. It's one arm that maybe is not handing you the coffee, but they're creating careers in robotics, in STEM. Okay. And there always has to be an actual person like there is out at Stone Ridge watching the robot and creating the whole atmosphere, not to mention making the pastry. So I want to know that that person is getting the tip. And so, yeah, I tip. So before we even spoke, I, I was thinking, no way, I'm not tipping these robots. But now that you explained it, okay, I'm going to the robot. There are humans behind the machines. Okay, yes. got it. Do you think we're going to be seeing more of these robots around soon? I do, because yes. they're efficient, the coffee is delicious, and because, again, you can do this as a career. Okay. Let's step back and say we're right. going to go into STEM, we're going to go into robotics, and you know what? We're going to see more of these all over the place. There you go. Scott, but like, so that's. But wait a minute. No, 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 that's fucking stupid. Yeah, I think that's a shitty argument. I actually, I kind of like this concept if your coffee shop can afford it because I've worked as, a, I was a barista and my brother also was a barista or what do you, you know, we didn't call ourselves fucking baristas at the time, but whatever, we fucking worked at a coffee shop. Um, but when you're working solo behind the counter, it's like you're taking money or you're, you're taking the order, right? And then you're going to making that order and then you're giving it to that person and you're coming back and you're taking the next order, right? And there's no, there's really no flow and people are waiting for way too long. So having like a robotic arm or some robot behind me, like whipping the shit up as I'm taking the orders, right. And gabbing with the customers and providing that like human interaction that they so crave. Uh, that's why they came down to the shop instead of getting their own beans and grinding them at home. Um, you know, that, that would actually be really beneficial. Um, and it probably wouldn't cost the employer too much and it would, it probably wouldn't uh, reduce jobs in a greater sense of things. Right. Because you're probably paying less, even to maintain a robot arm like that over time than you are to an employee with healthcare benefits and all that shit. So um, you probably keep the employee and just have the robot arm there to supplement. Um, so I'm actually all for that. 
but yeah, like, <laughs> uh, and hopefully the tip goes to the humans that work there. They share their tips. I'm sure the robots are very, very progressive about sharing tips. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I also still like the idea of someone with a lot of skill and, and, uh, and hand-eye coordination fixing my phone. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, the, but this idea that we're going to employ as many people in robotics as we do in like food service or whatever, or in customer service, it's yeah. fucking dumb. No, it's not valid at all, right? Like, if if this was, you know, if you consider this a job, right? Like, some you're hiring another employee, right? That job doesn't. That's the, it doesn't equate, right? The the person that created and invented that robot, they have the patent, and they're. It's not like they're like getting a new job every time you know one of these right. gets uh, hired, right? Um, they've got their patent, and that's it, and they're making their they're making their money, and you know that's it. But that's the one person, right, making tons of money, not like. Joe, the engineer, right? Uh, right. I guess if I, there are factory jobs, I guess, to be made, you know, building them. But they probably have robots building yeah, the fucking robots, yeah, right? robots to build them. <laughs> of course, they've got a coffee robot building robot that builds right. the coffee robot. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they reprogram the barista to be a, to build baristas. Um, <laughs> so it's so meta. God. Um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, still absolutely tip the robot. Um, if there's a human, if you interact with a human, if you see humans working for the company, you know, I, I, maybe they don't have it stipulated right there on the tip jar or whatever or on the screen, but it, they should be giving the tips to the humans. So more than like, you're not tipping the, the robot and hopefully you're not just lining the pockets of the, the owner. So I don't so listen I, to these stories or watch them beforehand. Cause I like to kind of get, get hit by them cold. Um, there's a couple things on for Sundays and Fridays that I have to watch beforehand because there might be some end bombs or something in them. Sure. But, uh, this, I was hoping that the robot was like literally asking for a tip. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> there is, um, the, I, I want, I guess it maybe wasn't on NBC, but might've been on one of the other networks. I, I got, want to say I saw a clip or maybe it was NBC had it in a different clip. Um, I want to say that they had the cute little, like, not Alexa, but like robot voice. Have you ever seen a uh, short circuit? You remember yeah, that yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like number five. It was like, uh, please consider giving me a tip. Number five, need tip, you know? That, that <laughs> short circuit cute. movie was a problem. That guy in Indian face. Oh, no. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, the robot itself was adorable. Right. Um, but, but yeah, that, the, the poor Indian engineer, like, um, stereotype was, was pretty bad. It was on the level, on par with that, uh, Mickey Rooney character in, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, the upstairs Japanese neighbor, um, played by Mickey Rooney. Uh, so anyway, um, so, so well, you know who's ne never going to be replaced until their job is outlawed and you should always tip really well is the guy making street vendors. Yeah, the guy making the bacon wrapped hot dog outside of the football game. Right. My favorite. Uh, happening today, San Francisco launching a new crackdown on illegal Aww. street vendors. Now, that move is meant to eliminate what critics argue is one of the city's growing problems. And in some cases, final warnings were handed out yesterday. Today at the base, Ginger Connor-Harrell Saab. She's live for us this morning. And Ginger. Okay, it sounds like some argue that this new law targets uh, certain communities more than others. 
Well, that's what some advocacy groups are saying, Marcus. This legislation was passed several months ago and has been enforced here or there. But today, there is a, a bigger goal of really cracking down on illegal vendors, specifically in areas like San Francisco's Mission District, like 24th Street and Bart Plaza. Now, if this happens, uh, law, lawmakers who pass this legislation are hoping to reduce open-air drug markets that are also taking place in the area and then also hoping that this will eventually lead to uh, thieves uh, cracking down on thieves stealing from brick-and-mortar businesses only to resell those goods on the streets now the problem with cracking down on on this however is that there are legitimate small businesses who for a long time have sold their goods there and they are the ones that some advocacy groups are saying will get caught in the middle activists have already protested that the permit program will criminalize poor people of color but local officials say otherwise supervisor yeah. Ronan who co-authored the legislation has called the problem quote incredibly complex and has said on Twitter that the illegal venting has become untenable and is causing problems for the whole neighborhood back in July she said on Twitter in part quote it infuriates me to see a once beautiful and vibrant community space overrun by open-air drug markets and vendors selling stolen goods so what happens now vendors can apply for a permit for $430 now that fee can be waived if they make less than 200% of the federal poverty level which is under $25,700 now if they've also received Medi-Cal food stamps or a free muni pass or if they are a qualified nonprofit that may also mean that the fee is waived now if the goods are confiscated today or sometime in the future it can take up to 90 days to get those goods back there are also fines associated with that $250 for the first violation and that can also grow up to $1,000 for the third violation we know that San Francisco police will be accompanying Department of Public Works today as they make their rounds so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out not just today but also in the longer run Marcus yeah certainly interesting to see and, and it is like you said tough for those uh, the legitimate businesses that are out there that now like what about the hot dog person like if you come for the tamale lady i'm coming for you seriously i mean what the fuck is this this is some sort of like so or problem in search of a solution solution in search of a problem it's a city like we've talked about before right like you and i talk about this a lot right like the problems of quote-unquote problems of a city right an open-air market Right, an open air drug market and an open air uh, vendor market, legal, permitted, or otherwise, right? Crops up. Oh, amazing. It crops up around the BART station at 24th Emission. Fucking shocking, right? It's it's an open space. It's a public plaza. What do you expect? People are going to try to, people are going to try and make it, man. They're just trying to get by. They're trying to hustle and do their thing. And this is just what happens in a city. Why are we spending our, why are we wasting our time cracking down when we know that? To get that one person who's selling like fucking whatever uh, lifted Gucci bags, right? Um, you're you're gonna shut down ten mom and pops selling bacon wrapped hot dogs, right? And they're just trying to make a buck. They're not trying to sell any, you know, trying to make trying to screw anybody. Um, so why bother, man? This is so. It's like we're gonna make mushrooms the lowest, you know, priority. Fine. This should also be like the lowest priority. Why is this even an issue, Hillary Ronan? I don't even think Hillary represents this fucking area i don't believe so it's district six it was matt haney's district so i think there's the, some appointed person uh, representing the area i think it's his district either way um hillary ronan you white 
savior lady like go away <laughs> we don't need your help you go 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 figure out what to do in the sunset anyway um yeah I, I think this is a solution in search of a problem frankly speaking yeah i think so too and i think that like i don't know i think that like the vendors are cool i know it makes it kind of hard to walk down the street sometimes or whatever but that's like that's life in the big city right it's like good lord have you been to new york city i mean frankly it's because of tourism but you know walking through manhattan in some parts of manhattan like around rock rockefeller plaza like around new, uh, christmas where the trees out there it's like a 10 minute walk just to get past the plaza like it's packed wall to wall with people and that's legit that's legal it's just like they want to come see the big tree right um that's just what you get living in the city right and it's you should you should we should just embrace it maybe have a freaking bacon wrapped hot dog hillary jesus christ <laughs> try it you'll like it oh they're delicious i'm gonna have one after this i'm 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 absolutely having hot dogs after this uh session with the good wife i think we've i've already decided anyway um uh, moving right along so next we have some maybe more uh, reasonable regulation uh, having to do with water and people with their fucking ornate gardens yeah, we're supposed to we're supposed to be conserving, folks. I mean, we're in catastrophic drought, and it's not going to get any better, by the way. So we should even stop thinking about it as a drought and just a water crisis, or not even a water crisis. Just this is just how it's going to be. This is reality at this point. So start conserving now. Um, and the, if you don't, the water police are going to come get you. Damien Trujillo is going to let you know about it. We'll be able to see a lot of green. Otherwise, get used to the color brown. Like the poop. landscaping is beautiful around the Willow Glen Village. It welcomes shoppers to the local strip mall. But this greenery might soon be a thing of the past because the watering has to stop. This ban applies to all commercial, industrial, and institutional properties, including homeowners Expert. associations. Today, Valley Water added an enforcement component to its watering ban. After two warnings, repeat offenders could face fines of up to $10,000. We do not want to go there. We want to not have to enforce any of those policies. Merchants and shoppers at the Willow Glen Village would like to keep their greenery, but they Two blocks of my mom's house. it needs to go brown. Well, it's a serious drought, so I guess I'd like to see everyone conserve That's not my a little mom. bit more, so it doesn't have to all be completely dry. This business owner says it's just a matter of priorities now. Ooh, I've been there. And schools are exempt from the ban. Individual homeowners still have to abide by the two-day is a week rule with no runoff and no midday watering and those restrictions like to be working for the first time valley water says conservation countywide reached and even surpassed its 15 percent goal we're in a drought we're in a severe drought we call Dick. it a crisis oh, so gone. people That's are right. paying attention and they're they're doing their part and we're excited about that but the chair of valley water says the west coast is in a big hole with no end to the drought in sight so for the foreseeable future in those places where the grass is only decorative, brown will have to be the new green. In San Jose, Damien Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Just fucking put a rock formation or some shit out there. Yeah, boo-hoo, I'm crying, we're really crying. For, I mean, I, this is a, it's coming from a guy who grew up in the Dub G in Wedo Glen. Like, don't cry for me, Wedo Glen. Jesus Christ. <laughs> get, a fucking, get a fucking sundial and some rocks. Get a sundial and some get rocks. Fucking, get a fucking sundial. <laughs> Shit. The sundial would be great, or like little gargoyles and shit that people have. Yeah, right? Oh, totally. I'm just thinking like decorative shit, right? Or a gnome. Get a gnome. 
You know who probably wasn't <laughs> wasting. You know who wasn't wasting a lot of water was that Flintstone house. Hell no, right? Yeah, completely. They were they were doing it up. Fuck lawns when we can have huge decorative sculptures and caricatures and like a whole Alice in Wonderland vibe. Gotta like of that the, of the Flintstones, even of the Flintstones, exactly. The modern Stone Age family. Well, um, speaking of the Stone Age, um, this dude's taking it back to the Stone Age. Uh, apparently, there's a plot of land in San Ho up in Alviso, um, one of the most neglected, historically neglected parts of San Jose, unfortunately, that's been promised to be a park for a very long time. Not surprising. In Alviso, the city keeps saying, oh, we don't have the money to make the park. Um, so this dude decided, like, fuck it, I'm going to build the park. But he's finding out it's, like, a little harder than he thought it might be. A South Bay man says he is tired of waiting. He's now trying to build the park that his neighborhood has been promised for decades. But the city of San Jose is balking, and that's triggered a war of words over dirt. Here's NBC Barry Scott Budman. It's going to take a while, but shovel full by shovel full. Mark Espinoza is determined to build a new park in his hometown of Alviso. What you see here is just an empty field with weeds growing. An empty field sitting on three acres of city-owned land on Grant Boulevard. Empty since the year 2000 and long identified as a place for a park. Espinosa says he's tired of waiting for a place the neighborhood can enjoy. I'm fed up. I mean, enough is enough. I'm sick. I'm tired of being sick and tired. So I'm taking things into my own hands and I want to clean the park up. I want to make it usable. I, I know, put some plants, put some grass, some benches, so people can come and enjoy a park that was intended for them. So he's leading an effort to clean the area up, but... Again, this work is unauthorized and constitutes trespassing. San Jose's Parks and Recreation Department, which has jurisdiction over the would-be park, says Espinoza and those working with him are going rogue. And it won't help or fund construction of the park (laughs) unless it's safe. We've gone rogue. ...from the stripping are kicked up. It can become a tripping hazard and any below-grade infrastructure damage can be caused. So that means like water mains or power lines can be disrupted. As to what happens next, well... Mark right. says he plans to continue to very gradually develop the here. The city says if that's the case, they plan to issue a warning. In Alviso, Scott Budman, <laughs> NBC, Bay Area News. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sun's out, gun's out. He's going to get a warning, everybody. Watch out. Um, well, uh, Daniel's right from the Parks and Rec Department. Like, it is, it's not, I won't say dangerous but it's a little sketch to be if he starts digging around and trying to you know dig up and 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 add a you know like irrigation and shit if he's just clearing the surface right and maybe even laying down some sod not the worst thing in the world um and frankly if the dude wants to pay for it and do it all himself i'm i'm okay with it as long as he's not erecting any structures that you know people could theoretically like climb upon and fall off and you know hurt themselves that's fine. No, put no park horse. Just you know, a little path maybe, and then some grass. Maybe some plant life. Well, maybe not. Maybe not grass right now. Maybe a rock garden. Right. Oh, that of course. Yeah, you don't want the water police after you. Um, but someplace for the dogs to go. You know, maybe like a little dog run. That'd be kind of cool. Um, so you know, more power to this guy. I understand. I think I've met Mark before on the the activist circuit, and you know, like I said, Viso is drastically under resourced and drastically underrepresented and drastically forgotten. Um, consistently forgotten. So, um, more power to them, and let them let them be. Let Alviso be Alviso for once. 
That's my. That's all I have. Yeah, that makes that makes uh, sense to me. I'm good. So with who that. needs to get their shit together this week? Apparently, it's PG and E. Oh shit! Who says so? Uh, Sam Licardo, but not for nothing. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. After seeing what happened in Texas when it got really whole, really cold, uh, PG and E. I don't know if it's just through luck or through the hardworking individuals who are uh, out, were out there in 110 or 115 degree heat, but the grid held. As far as we can tell, um, maybe that's because of upgrades they've made recently, but for, for now. Um, but apparently it did not hold in certain very key places, like hospitals. Um, so uh, that's part of what the mayor was using as his leverage to make a big political splash out of, out of this opportunity. There has been a lot of this across the Bay Area this week. In fact, a PG&E worker repairing a busted line is one of many heat exhaustion reports today. We are really being reminded just how difficult it is to work in these conditions. We're reminding all of our co-workers to be safe out there, take rest breaks, make sure they stay cool, make sure they stay hydrated, and stay safe. The good news, Kaiser Permanente in Santa Clara and San Jose says it has not seen a jump in heat-related emergency visits, but they still ask residents to take precautions. Some of its patients say they're fed up with the heat and all the flex alerts. Oh my gosh, the heat is so bad. I lived in Phoenix for 10 years. <laughs> I didn't think I'd have to experience this again. It's just awful. Brutal. I am so done. <laughs> and I run hot, so it just makes it even worse. The mayor yeah, of San Jose says he's done too. Mayor Sam Licardo issued a news release blasting PG&E for what he says are infrastructure failures that left nearly 100,000 San Jose residents in the dark this week, including three San Jose hospitals. The mayor says if PG&E doesn't present a plan to immediately repair and replace its infrastructure, the city will seek a court injunction to force it to do so. We're having really good conversations with the mayor. I uh, value and respect him. I appreciate that he is advocating for my city that I was born and raised in. The utility says it already replaced 700 transformers across the city in the last couple years, and it too is frustrated with the outages. This is historic. It is unacceptable. We all uh, rely on power. It is absolutely essential to our quality of life. The mayor says he's concerned about the safety of residents and the viability of small businesses that have to shut down because of the outages. My phone says it's 103 right now uh, in Campbell, but the good news is it only feels like 102. Uh, PG&E called <laughs> the and as of noon today, there were 824 customers without power in Santa Clara County. You can expect that number to go up in the next couple of hours. We're live in Campbell. I'm Damian Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Okay. <laughs> Why did they have him out there in like like a like a reflector? That was weird. Who knows? There might have been some some. Prior, uh, he was on maybe he was on site at the uh, the uh, power substation, and they require people to wear that stuff. It could be, but um, or he just wanted to look cool and like he was in danger, danger, Damien, um, at danger, Damien on Twitter. Uh, so I, it, it, you're right. Uh, given that this was historic heat we saw last week, in fact, the highest temperature ever recorded in the Bay Area, at least in the last whatever 150 years since they've been recording, was recorded in Livermore. Last week, 116 degrees. Holy shit. Um, it was brutally hot. It went hit 111 here in San Jose. Um, despite all that, we still managed to avoid massive blackouts. Like we, we didn't have any, we didn't experience any here. 
um, in our place, the good wife and I, um, and we were very good about running our limited AC just you know before the flex hours, right, and not doing any laundry or you know cooking during the flex hours, waiting until after nine. Um, so good on us. I think I think it, it, collectively we did a great job. Yeah, I mean, but if you would have watched, like, if you were watching right wing Twitter or whatever, you would have seen everybody go, "Oh, your power grid failed," and it's like, no, it didn't. Right? <laughs> like, no, no, no it didn't. Not like, like Texas. They're like, "Oh, you you can't charge your electric car between these hours," and it's like, "But you people hate electric cars." Right. It's not a failing grid. That's a, a fully. That's a well functioning grid. It's a grid that understands that there are um, there are peaks out there, and the reason why it's a peak hour and, and why the, the it's it's important to conserve during those hours it's because people are still during even during conservation are using a shit ton of energy at those times right they're using electricity to do these things they're they're not conserving right there are plenty of people out there that are charging their car or charging their uh, or running their stove or running their dishwasher or their dryer or their washer um during these hours that's why they're asking everyone to, to cut back because too many people are so just because some people cut back like you me and whoever the next person um, does not mean that some people are still not spending or using way too much energy um, during those peak hours, and we're just trying to balance it out so that the grid doesn't fail. That's responsible. That's not you know that's not neglect. It's responsible. So uh, more power to us, man. Um, but yeah, the, the need to have our own utility, local utilities, and the need to have to get each of our own households off the grid is is very apparent. Um, just so we can avoid any kind of uh, issues like this or any sort of uh, uncertainty when it comes to our energy needs fuck fuck yeah well yeah that was uh get your shit together we're going to move on to down ballot watch where we take mm-hmm. a look at local political issues that are specifically political everything's fucking political but these things are like having to do with city and county governments around the bay area turns out one in three san jose police officers faced some kind of uh formal complaint i suppose in um 2021 yeah, and if this is a if public safety is still one of the top issues, um, you're going to see this come up um, during this city council and mayor's race coming up in November. So let's hear a little bit more. Well, Sebastian Gorka has something to say about it first, if that's okay. Oh, that's police officers. Nice. Police officers, they've gone insane. In every three Very San true. Jose police officers has some kind of complaint lodged against them just within the past year. Good evening. I'm Julie Hayner. And I'm Mike Maybach. Tomorrow night, the San Jose City Council will discuss this along with some of the other findings in the auditor's annual report. New at 6, KTVU South Bay reporter Mark Sayre has the story. The independent police auditor reports directly to the city council and is outside the police department's chain of command. The goal is to increase confidence in the department by community engagement, making recommendations, and making sure that complaints about officer misconduct are investigated. This office is very important. Retired Judge Ladoris Hazard Cordell was the San Jose Independent Police Auditor for five years. While she says the office has no power to actually mandate changes, it does have the ability to bring issues of concern to the public. And one of its goals has always been to increase transparency in policing, because by doing that, you then increase trust from the community. In 2021, the IPA received 333 complaints against San Jose PD officers, which included 1,000 allegations that officers violated procedure or the law. That's up 24% from 2020. So I'm not surprised by that at all. And I don't think that that number itself says very much. 
what you want to look at are what kinds of allegations are contained in those complaints. In 2021, 16% of those complaints contained use of force allegations, and nearly one-third of all sworn officers had at least one complaint lodged against them. It is not a statement that one-third of the San Jose Police Department uh, officers engage in misconduct. No. It is a statement that they were the subject of complaints, but we don't know how many of those complaints were actually justified. The report says the department received more than 120 allegations of bias-based policing or racial profiling, but they sustained none of them. The IPA also reviewed 240 closed internal affairs investigations, agreeing with 82% of the conclusions, but disagreeing or having concerns with the rest. Cordell says this raises one overarching issue. The police, be it San Jose, Los Angeles, San Francisco, doesn't matter, should never investigate themselves. Never. There should be independent entity that conducts an investigation into police misconduct. This latest report by the independent police auditor will be discussed by the city council at its regular meeting here on Tuesday afternoon. Reporting in San Jose, I'm Mark Sayer, KTVU Fox 2 News. And that was today. And we'll have more about what happened on Dan Ballot. I mean, it's it's not too surprising that like one third of cops have a have a complaint against them or whatever in any city. San Jose, whatever, whatever. Like it's it's <clears throat> it maybe goes with the territory, but on, on the other hand, they they should be doing everything they can to like reduce that number and try to like I don't know, the fucking cops though. Like what am I saying? Right. Well, I mean, the, there's a few things here to unpack, and it, it it this is a that's a whole different. It's a very special episode of Down Ballot at some point to talk about this kind of, this issue, um, and what's going on with SJPD specifically. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not so much the volume of the complaints that are lodged, right? Because we all know we're a complaint-driven culture, and a lot of times, especially in this space, things can get politicized. Not not for electoral reasons, but just politicized, right? In general, and emotional, um, and complaints can get filed for a lot of reasons. However, that being said, the the fact that none are sustained, right? When you hear things like that, when you hear whatever the number is of complaints, and you hear zero were sustained or zero uh, instances that I, I that I found you know reasonable um, cause, right? It, you're right. Like you're investigating yourself. Who are you relying on to make that judgment? Right. So yes, absolutely. There should be independent oversight um, with teeth. The independent police auditor, unfortunately in San Jose is just that it's an auditor. They audit things after they happen. They audit cases and they audit um, convictions and they audit uh, investigations after the fact, just to say, Oh, well this was good. This was bad. This was done well. This was done poorly. Um, here's how you can do better, but they have no authority to say like, no, let that person out of jail because this investigation was faulty. They just have the ability to recommend to the city that their investigation was faulty. So it, there needs to be some teeth. There needs to be some sort of independent oversight. And that's what these other cities, it, you know, reference, you know, in other cities that have issues like this where, yeah, probably a third of the officers do have complaints against them. That's what they have that we don't, we don't have in San Jose an independent uh, review board person entity body whatever it is that has teeth that can actually get an officer fired that can actually or, uh, removed right they can actually do something rather than just issue a recommendation or a report and that's all the ipa and sounds they can do right now so i one would think that the city and county government would be 
the oversight with teeth, that the board of supervisors or the city council would be that thing. But it seems like the city councils and the board of supervisors, not just here, but when we look at other places, when we watch some of these meetings and stuff, we find that the city councils and the board of supervisors are scared shitless of the police union. Yeah, they're not independent enough, right? They, they are elected. And just by nature of being elected, they are, uh, you know, uh, I guess, part, they can they can be made. There are, there are partialities. There are conflict of interest um, uh, arguments that can be made. And they're susceptible, right, to, to issues like that. Not to say that some appointed people on a commission wouldn't be either, right? It really, it always comes back to, okay, who's making the appointment? Who's appointing these people that serve on this independent body, right? How is this independent body formed? There's got to be someone involved in informing it, right? So it's not entirely independent when it comes down to it, right? Whether they're appointed, elected, self-identified, I don't know, right? A lot of times it's like pulling teeth and dragging people into doing these jobs in the first place on these commissions. But it's really problematic, like who's appointing them, right? So there's really no perfect solution to it. But creating another layer never hurts at all. The city council or the board of supervisors, they shouldn't really be getting wading into like HR issues like that and issues that could in fact impact people's jobs and like the weeds like this. They're good for setting policy and setting the policy that oversees the oversight, right? The setting maybe the parameters and the rubric that the oversight committee uses in their work, right? But they should not be involved in like adjudicating individual cases. Because oh no, that's not take, what I meant. I mean, they yeah, fire the forever. fucking they fire the fucking police chief. Yeah, cor- oh, correct. Well, they they could, the city council can actually only hire or fire the city manager. Technically, at the end of the day, the city manager hires all the other department heads, including the police chief. The city council has to approve of the hire, right? And they have they have some veto power there. But the city manager, at the end of the day, hires and fires them and chooses who they want um, in those roles. Um, so they can hire and fire the city manager. And they could theoretically fire the police chief too, but they have to add, they basically have to ask the city manager to ha- fire the police chief technically. So yeah. Twisted. It's a twisted web we weave in public service. But I mean, that's not the case in every city, right? Like each city, each place, the, 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 the structure it's, is a little bit different. Sure. It's different. This, the, the way in San Jose it works is a lot like a board of, uh, board of directors <clears throat> and a CEO, right? The city manager is the CEO. They're a paid uh, head of the company, right? And then the board of directors, um, is the city council. And so they have oversight over that. The CEO has to justify their existence and report to this to the city council or the board of directors. And then the board of directors can, you know, nix or yay anything that the city that the CEO wants to do. Right. That's how Matt Matt Mahan, the candidate for mayor, is really like tries to pitch it. Like you know, I I know what it's like to have to respond to a board, and I know how to deliver results because as a CEO of a, of tech company, I tech bro had to you know. Uh, uh, justify my existence and make these reports and, and deliver results. So we need to oh. deliver results as a city. Otherwise, you know, cause you, and you, and the, the people are our board of directors. So we need to deliver results to you and you have a chance to hire or fire us based on the results. I see that motherfuckers. I see that motherfucker signs all over my new neighborhood. Yeah. Well, you're in his, you're in his neighborhood actually. Um, you're in his district now. Um, district 10, I do believe. Um, yeah, the revolution of common sense, which my brother pointed out was uh, a subtle, I think, reference to Thomas Paine, which yeah. um, he does not deserve at all, because it's not, it's not at all what he's about. But anyway, he's, there are a bunch of smart asses on that campaign. That's all, that's all I'll say about that. So we're going to go up to Sacramento, state government stuff. Here's uh, Gavin Newsom apparently opposing a new tax on the rich. Let's see what our, Correct. Local, let's see what our local news has to say about this. 
As we enter election season, there are all sorts of interesting storylines. Tomorrow, a new ad starts airing featuring Governor Newsom on the same side as the California Republican Party. This is all about Prop 30. Here's NBC Bay Area's Terry McSweeney. The anti-Prop 30 commercial hitting the airwaves tomorrow warns Californians about what Governor Newsom calls a Trojan horse. Prop 30 is being advertised as a climate initiative, but in reality, it was devised by a single corporation to funnel state income taxes to benefit their company. The governor is referring to the ride-sharing company Lyft, which has already contributed $15 million to the Yes on 30 campaign. Prop 30 calls for a one and three quarters percent tax on those making two million dollars per year or more. The three to four billion dollars raised annually would help people buy electric vehicles, pay for charging stations and help reduce smoke pollution by fighting and preventing wildfires. We reached out to Lyft, but did not hear back. But like California environmental voters and the Construction Trade Council of California, the Coalition for Cleaner Air is surprised the governor opposes Prop 30. Does the governor want to deny millions of Californians the ability to drive an electric car just because a few of them might drive for Lyft? That's really odd because his programs have exactly the same effect. Like the state Republican Party and the California Teachers Association, the Howard Jarvis Tax Association agrees with the governor. He, I think, correctly stated that this was a special interest money grab by one ride-sharing company, Lyft, to try to offload some of the expenses that it has to incur to comply with some of the climate change policies. We have a history in this state of using the ballot uh, to forward the views of particular groups. And this is yet another. Um, there may be benefits out of it, but the question is, at what cost? Terry McSweeney, NBC Bay Area News. Guess what? What? Nobody to root for. Yeah, no, not at all. Not in this, not in this one. Um, it's really interesting, though, to see, like, look at, uh, look at a list of, you know, opponents or supporters and see the California Teachers Association, Gavin Newsom, and then the Republican Party, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, Chamber of Commerce on the same list. It's really odd. Um, there's a good reason, though, there for it, right? Like, this is actually a real, you know, it could be a real boon for um, electric car uh, adoption and, you know, wildfire prevention and a lot, of, a lot of good environmental things. And we're taxing the rich at the end of the day. This is a tax increase on people making two million or more per household a year. Um, and it does fund those things. It does do all those things. And none of the money is going directly to Lyft or any other company or a uh, proponent of the measure, in fact. However, it benefits them in that it incentivizes people to buy electric cars. And uh, Lyft and Uber and these other ride-sharing companies have all been, uh, are all under state mandates now, according to state law, to buy, I think 2030, they have to make sure that 90% of the miles they log are in electric vehicles. So it makes sense that their driver, they you know help their drivers, they do everything they can to help their drivers afford electric vehicles, right? And and get into them so they can meet their own goals and, and, and uh, existential uh, uh, goals, right? Um, that the state is mandating. So really, they're, they're actually trying to comply with the state mandate, which is about environmental sustainability. So can you really blame them? The surprising thing to me actually is from after, especially after reading a couple of stories about this, uh, this bill or the, the initiative Lyft is the primary you know, funder and proponent of it. Uber is not really involved. DoorDash, these other groups, the, the ones that were really behind AB five and, and changing state labor, or, you know, trying to push back on state labor law, the prop 22, right? A couple of years ago, um, that succeeded, uh, 
they're not involved. Like it's really Lyft carrying a lot of the weight on this, which is surprising, I guess, because Uber has bigger market share, I think, than Lyft does. And DoorDash certainly has a good market share in this. So oh. interesting that they're not engaged in this at all. And they're just sort of letting things happen. Maybe they're saving their money and figuring it's going to pass or not pass. And they'll figure things out. Uh, not regardless. really, because of the way Lyft has positioned themselves like as a, <clears throat> like a less shitty alternative to a company mm-hmm. like Uber. That's mm-hmm. been their marketing the whole time is that they're like yeah. less shitty than Uber. Like that's uh, not really a high bar. I'm not saying that it's like, a, <laughs> that like that, like we don't rape you. Our, our drivers won't rape you. Right. <laughs> or something like that. But I mean, that's just right. sort of how they position themselves, how they market themselves sure. and how they, how they want to be viewed as 100%. like the slightly less, I don't know if they probably want to be viewed as the good alternative to Uber, but I, they're the slightly less shitty alternative to Uber. And I yeah. think do like, like, backing something that seems to be like taxing the rich and helping the environment kind of fits in with what I know about what they're trying to present themselves as in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. Very good point. And they're they uh, certainly making good friends um, out of groups and organizations that were not their friend when they were pushing prop 22, right. Um, along with Uber and DoorDash. Um, so they're making friends with the democratic party. They're making friends with um, some labor unions, but building trades are behind this measure. Um, other, other labor groups are behind this measure. So, you know, uh, they're, they're making friends with the enviros. So good on them. Smart, smart positioning, frankly. And it's probably not costing them a ton of money in the greater scheme of things. Cause politics costs a lot of money. Elections cost a lot of money. But when it comes to, when you're talking about money that big, these big corporate entities, and big tech giants are making and pulling in, it's chump change. Like the, the, the amount of influence, like a, or a, company like the 49ers can have in a city like Santa Clara is just immense. They can own the city's politics with a very minimal investment. That's really not even like a skin off their nose. Jump and, change. And not for nothing, that fucking stadium didn't exactly do great things for the city of Santa Clara, did it? No, it didn't do everything. It's, it hasn't done everything it was supposed to do, right? It has benefited them. It has brought them a lot of revenue and money. It's also brought them a lot of problems too. So, um, and the Niners still, you know, rule Santa Clara politics when it comes down to it, they can get you elected or unelected. Um, no matter how long you've been there. For sure, for sure. Well, we're going to move on to and another thing. Um, Yes, sir. This is just about uh, flies in Pleasanton? Yeah, we like to do animal interest, but this is a a pest pest interest, insect interest. Different, different. uh, Pleasanton is buzzing about a problem that everyone is complaining about, flies. Businesses say there are so many flies, customers are now avoiding the downtown corridor and the heat isn't helping the situation. NBC Barry's Ian Cole is there to find out just how bad it is. Visit downtown Pleasanton and you may see a whole lot of swatting or shaking. Everyone notices it. Flies are an issue. I mean, right now, there are flies all over me. Residents say it's unusually bad, (laughs) and the heat only seems to make it worse. So we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so we've been teaching them, shoe fly, don't bother me. Oh, that's fun. Flying around, so I just turned the camera on myself to highlight the problem. Businesses are going to great lengths to shoo them away, this one bleaching the sidewalk to deter the flies. Some downtown workers say they've seen a difference. Outdoor seating has dropped off as people opt to dine indoors in hope of fewer unwanted guests. I went with like my friends for brunch one day and we kind of just said we're not going to come to downtown to eat like until this problem goes away. We started seeing the flies when the heat started coming. 
Inkling's coffee and tea is purchased fly-catching devices, even a carnivorous plant to eat them up. We're willing to try anything, and it's definitely helped, but um, it's everywhere downtown right now. So what can be done? No one seems to know the cause, but a few theories are swirling around. Most have hired exterminators, and some say it's improving. The city of Pleasanton declined our request for an interview, but said in a statement, the city takes steps to address pests in general, and staff is currently working with Alameda County Vector Control to understand the additional contributing factors this year, and if so, how this can be addressed. I mean, I really hope that, you know, this problem can be solved. It's a very difficult problem to solve if you don't know why the problem is happening. In Pleasanton, Ian Cole, NBC, Bay Area News. I have uh, I've, uh, guessed. Sometimes there's flies it. outside. Sometimes there are flies outside. They live outside and sometimes inside. And there's there's restaurants and there's food like on plates outside. And like flies like food. So they like land on the food and then they make more flies. And then those flies fly around and land on the food. Yeah, it's a self It's just, just self-fulfilling prophecy. You put food outside, flies are going to eat it. Yeah, there's like just... Sorry. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. You just wait out the flies. You just wait until there's yeah. there's a time when there's no flies anymore, and then then there's no flies anymore, and then, you then you don't have the flies, the... and then then there's no problem with the flies. Or you can call the Lord of the Flies and have have them clear the fucking shit out. You you can you can. So I think that's a non-issue. But I do like that we our animal our animal in, in, uh, interest segment this week was about flies and the people of Pleasanton, <laughs> and uh, I do feel sorry for that poor girl and her brunch friends. I know that it's, Seriously. it's, it's, a, it's like live, laugh. And I can't think of an L word that has anything to do with flies. So I'm sorry. It's a, tr- it's a tragedy that they couldn't have their avocado toast without being, you know, harassed by, a f- by the flies and the, the fruit flies. Um, it's live, laugh, limitless mimosas. There you go. <laughs> well, it's a different kingdom. It's not so much animal interest. It is a different kingdom. So, uh, insect interest this week, this week on down ballot. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. You want to read us out? Absolutely. Um, like I said, thank you, listener. Thank you, viewer. We would be nowhere without you. So please subscribe on Twitch. Uh, you know, follow us uh, on all the places. Download the podcast and share it with your friends. Uh, we do this every Tuesday night live right here at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, leading into Local Love, uh, our fantastic local music show. Please stay tuned after that for producer Dave and all the fine tunes that the, he and Chip DeVille and the Media Wench can provide for you. Um, who, anyone special on our uh, on the docket for this evening? Yeah, the band is called Rotterdam, and uh, Local Love isn't my show, actually. I don't host oh, Local damn. Love. Oh, damn. So you're just like, you know, kicking back pounding some brews and, and watching from the sidelines yeah 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 and like uh <clears throat> everybody i'm pretty tired so there'll be no post game after local love tonight um fair enough thanks everybody for hanging out for down ballot you can check out our new swag shop at eplex.store there's a bunch of great stuff there i recommend the down ballot shirt or the down ballot coffee mug there's a bunch I'm of others totally. there's a bunch of other stuff there too and people have been using the gift feature in chat where people can gift each other items so maybe we'll get a little of that action going on during uh local love tonight don't miss the intellectual dollar tree tomorrow night hk and i will be finishing our gore vidal versus william f buckley debate series from 1968 it's nice. the uh the you know the early marketplace of ideas check out all of our shows here on echoplex media if you're sitting there live hang out local love starts in 10 15 minutes something like that and uh i'm gonna get this camera fixed see you next week councilman take off your pants later <laughs> 
the party party Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing and you know it's time to head in Alright everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is the jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is the jam So sit back and enjoy the band The joint now, who's got my lighter? Stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the US economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now, inside, motherfuckers is rocking me. And outside, shit, we smoke a lot of broccoli. Rocky the Rolly, all the sexy girl be jocking me. Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppily. We do what we want. And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band
All the goth DJs and Twitch witches are hanging out on Thursday for the bad VHS rips, unblinking eyes, and fire by night. Thetans and Satans comes from an interest in the cult of Scientology, moral panics, Satanism, and how they set the tone for the extremist social media panics of today. We really earn our weird left Twitch badge with this show, watching the world go red light in reverse every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.